One of the basic precepts of Anglicanism, and actually the foundation of much of our theology and practice, is the idea of the three-legged stool. You've probably heard this expression if you've been an Episcopalian very long. It's the idea that our religious life is supported by three things. The Holy Scripture of the Old and New Testament, the way we use reason to understand, evaluate, and respond to the experience we have living in the world, and third, the tradition that has developed in our worship, teaching, and life in the church community. Scripture, reason, and tradition. The codifying of these ideas is credited to the 16th century priest and scholar Richard Hooker. He was a master of the temple in London, in other words, the dean of a law school, and also a priest in the Church of England. His most famous work is The Laws of Ecclesiastical Polity, a tome that eventually reached eight volumes, written largely in response to the teachings of the Puritans who were trying to lead the English church toward a theology and structure based solely on scripture. Under the first Queen Elizabeth and the ideas of men like Hooker, the English church sought a middle road between the Puritan view and the Church of Rome. This controversy resulted in what is known as the Elizabethan settlement. Hooker's ideas are not strictly a three-legged stool, however. He never used that term, and he emphasized the primacy of scripture. But he did attribute to reason and tradition a significant role in the ordering and practicing of our faith. In other words, Hooker believed that the church is an organic, not a static institution. I first read portions of Hooker's great work, not in relation to the church at all, but in a literature course, which was exploring the development of English prose. Most earlier theological or legal writing in England had been in Latin. If you read the laws of ecclesiastical polity today, you might not believe it is considered one of the first great models of English prose. It is not easygoing. However, what I want to focus on today is how our lessons this Sunday make an interesting backdrop for the Anglican ideas of church belief and order and of the evolution of certain customs and organizational changes. The book of Deuteronomy, as part of the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, a book of laws or rules in large part. Here the people of Israel are told that you must neither add anything to what I command you nor take anything away from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord. This is a directive that gives no room for any modification of any of the laws laid down in the Torah. And it's easy to see that According to the Puritans, who demanded that Christians follow only the precepts of Scripture, it would be impossible for the church to advocate any changes from worship and behavior as it was laid down in ancient Israel. Those in contemporary times who seem to advocate the same thing may not be quite as willing to impose the totality of Hebrew law on their everyday lives. It's led, of course, to the charges of hypocrisy, voiced by non-absolutists when scripture-only voices would disavow the rules they don't happen to agree with or like, like killing your son if he disobeys or 
keeping slaves or slaughtering your own sheep to celebrate the Passover. We read this passage as an example of the directives given by a prophet to an ancient people who were protecting their tribe, a small minority among a variety of peoples and tribes, and striving to maintain the identity and integrity of that group by binding them together in a common life and purpose, a group whose very uniqueness they saw as its safety net. We tend to read this passage as history, not as injunction. When we move centuries forward to the teachings of Jesus, we find a rather different view of the laws of the Torah. In Mark's gospel today, we are given a scene in which Jesus is scolded by the Pharisees because his disciples don't follow precisely the cleanliness regulations and eat with and they do eat without a ritual washing of their hands. So Jesus scolds the Pharisees right back for being hypocrites. You are, he implies, obsessed with the details of ancient regulations, but you ignore the significant things, loving God and assisting those in need. You are placing importance on the wrong things. What is outside, he says, is not dirty. It's not what goes into or onto a person that is defiling. It is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, he tells them. By the time the letter of James has been written, the ideas of just what the law is has shifted again. James writes that it is not enough to hear God's law, but we must act on them. And the laws of God which all Christians must follow are no longer specified as those laid down in the Torah, but are the teachings of Jesus. And we know that Jesus' basic law is that we love God and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus elsewhere tells his followers that he has not come to change the law, but to fulfill it. Yet he distills it so that the details are seemingly less important. It is doing good and avoiding the sins of selfishness and self-indulgence that Jesus teaches. We are to take care of each other and do no harm to others. We are to worship the creator and love each other. Jesus seems to dismiss the details. We are to do good, not just talk about it, not just listen and worship. Martin Luther, who preached that we are saved by faith and not by works, was quite uneasy with the letter of James. He believed and taught that faith alone was sufficient for salvation. Of course, I'm oversimplifying his ideas, but he said he is said to have believed that the letter of James did not belong in the scriptures. When I look at these three readings today, it seems to me that the arc of development is shown. The people of ancient Israel were given absolute regulations. They were politically and tribally being threatened by a number of other groups, all believing in some other worldview and ritual. To maintain their own integrity and cohesion, the Jews needed absolute rules, not only of worship, but of behavior. And any deviation was to be punished, not just by a possibly ineffective governing system, but by the Almighty. By Jesus' time, the basic structure of Judaism had been variously and repeatedly modified and enlarged to contain stories of many sorts, admonitions from a wide variety of prophets and advisors, and a new set of rules for almost every aspect of human behavior. Jesus is telling his followers 
and the authorities that what is needed for salvation is to look only on what is vital to salvation. And he gives us that in his summary of the law. The followers of Jesus move beyond having a new model of faithfulness, which is no longer just the scriptures full of tales and detailed advice, but the example of the direct preachings and example of Jesus. The Episcopal Church has continued to acknowledge this evolution. We revere the Hebrew scriptures and read them as history, legend, and the rules of a people who acknowledge and worship the one God. They establish the environment in which the saving life and ministry of Jesus could appear. And we are the inheritors of that life and ministry. And Jesus taught us that the rules of a good life are simple but difficult. We are challenged to keep learning what it is that God wants us to know and do. John's Gospel reports that near the end of his life, Jesus tells his disciples, and I believe tells us, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The story of salvation is one that has not already been laid out for us, but it is an unfolding story. We need to do our best to pay attention, to read about what has come before us in the, in the story, and we need to observe what is occurring in the world as time passes, and then to use the minds that God gave us to understand and act on not only the word of God, but on the messages that take place around us. We place a high value on scripture as Anglicans, and we also give thanks for our capacity for reason and on the wisdom and comfort to be found in the traditions of belief and worship that we share with the past. We are, as Episcopalians, still indebted to Richard Hooker and the concept of the three-legged stool. Amen.